welcome back to another episode of Bite Sized Virtue. This is episode five of our third season. And, well, first off, Merry Christmas, because we have now passed the Christmas weekend. It was, I'm actually recording this the day after Boxing Day. And these episodes are going to go live. They're going to go live a little bit later in the week, but in a bizarre way, it's kind of fitting because they're going live on what used to be known, I guess it's still technically known as Childermas, but it's not something that's as widely celebrated anymore. The more complex name for it, or the more technical name for it, is the Feast of the Holy Innocents. If you know the uh, story from the Gospels surrounding Christ's birth, of course, there was um, King Herod, and in his fear of the birth of the Messiah, the, the, the new rightful king of Israel, uh, he ordered the slaughter of all children under the age of, well, all male children under the age of two years old. And so this unfortunate event in history is commemorated on, like I say, what is still known as, although not as widely celebrated as a formal feast day, um, as Childermas. If you were on the Discord channel, the Ultima Dragons Discord channel earlier today, you probably caught the joke I made about that, because apparently I found a way to make a joke about that. And if you didn't, well, you didn't miss anything, because I probably shouldn't have made a joke about that, but that's neither here nor there at this point in time. This episode brings to a conclusion the discussion with my friend Paul. It's a pretty wide-ranging discussion, gets into a lot of Canadian politics. You might want to skip that part, or maybe not, you know, if you are either really fascinated by Canadian politics or have no idea how Canadian politics works, you might, you know, get a little something out of that. Um, we talk about Toronto and some of the particular considerations of one of the largest cities in Canada, but then we do actually find a way to make, uh, to bring that back to, you know, spirituality and this whole concept of anima technica vacua, and in particular, just, you know, the idea that we aren't as connected necessarily to the people around us as maybe we should be. And we'll talk about that a little bit in the conversation here. Let's dive right in. Here's me, and here's Paul. So how you been? I mean, I know we've talked a little bit on Facebook, but um, how have you well, been? Not too bad. I mean, it's been uh, been busy-ish, I guess. I, I don't know. But it's uh, pretty, pretty, pretty decent. So, yeah. There's, uh, met some uh, people at the uh, Bernie event tonight that might be good to keep in contact with, so never know. Now, just for the sake of yeah. those tuning in who aren't up to date on Canadian politics, who is Maxime Bernier? Maxime Bernier is a candidate for the uh, Conservative Party leadership. He's running on a fairly free market libertarian um, platform. Um, he regularly quotes um, like Hayek and Mises, um, uh, particularly on his like online memes and stuff like that. Um, <laughs> he his major policy platforms right now are getting rid of uh, a lot of the protectionist. Um, uh, cartels that have developed in Canada, like the dairy market, um, particularly in one of the dairy markets and agriculture um, subsidies. Um, he's a Quebec politician, um, which basically they're thinking that um, they, the Conservative Party has to win Quebec to win a majority government. 
and they're hoping the next election with him as a leader um, to get 40 seats in Quebec, huh. and which is um, which is doable. I think that's how uh, Mulroney got his uh, majorities um, back in the 80s and stuff like that. Hopper did, I think, what did Hopper do? I did, Hopper did around 20 seats or so. Yeah, we uh, could look it up, but... No, whatever. It's not not a huge deal. Um, no, he's... Uh, yeah, he's... Um, I like a lot of his policies. Um, and uh, we'll see if he can uh, win the leadership uh, race. So uh, go from there. Right so, and I guess just to maybe throw one little thing in for U.S. listeners, um, Canada, of course, we have a parliamentary system as opposed to the more um, Republican, not in the party sense, but in you know the sense of it being a republic mm-hmm. uh, system that is in place in the U.S. And one of the quirks of the way that Canada does it is that and, and this is just mostly by dint of just how much population is concentrated in these two provinces. But there's an immense amount of political power concentrated in two provinces, the central provinces of Ontario and Quebec. Now, on the one hand, you know, these provinces do have far and away the most population of any Canadian provinces. So from a purely numeric standpoint, it does kind of make sense. But on the other hand, Canada is vast. And what is of political relevance and even what is of of economic relevance in Ontario and Quebec isn't necessarily going to be relevant or applicable to um, the farmlands of Saskatchewan and Alberta, the forestry industry in British Columbia, the fisheries industry out in the Maritimes. And so, you know, the, the quirks of the Canadian system and the necessity of carrying or doing exceedingly well in just two provinces is, to my mind, kind of a bit of a flaw in the way that Canada handles elections and, you know, the distribution of its members of parliament and just political power in general. It's actually one of the reasons that I kind of have a bit of affection for the electoral college in the United States, because even though that system isn't perfect either, it does somewhat prevent the potential scenario where the political interests of only the absolutely largest population centers are catered to and everybody else just kind of has to whatever. We do have some regional representation like uh, PEI, I think, is constitutionally guaranteed four seats, mm-hmm. even though it has something like 90,000 people, 100,000 people. Yeah, um, it's not big. Well, Toronto has... I don't know how many Toronto is around 20, 20, 30 seats. Um, so, and so, I mean like, uh, and that, um, like a Toronto riding has about almost double the population of a riding in PEI. So there's some criticisms on, uh, I remember in my first year of poli sci class, there's some criticisms about that, but, um, that doesn't necessarily mean I don't really care that much about that because <laughs> I like it. It doesn't really bother me. It's not like I'm like you know, rending my uh, 
bending my clothes over an issue like that. Yeah, exactly. Right. It's it. I mean, it's. Little quirks like that, but I mean, still, it goes on to illustrate that, you know, overall, I mean, in terms of raw seed count, Toronto alone, and that's just one city in the province, has way more power than an entire province. Yeah. And like I said, in some ways, that's fair because, hey, Toronto has way more people. So, well, of course, they have way more representation. But then on the other hand, that also means that what's an issue in Toronto has a much larger voice than what's an issue in PEI. And, you know, these two places are separated by a third of the country of Canada, at least, and therefore are going to have very different issues. And what is applicable to Toronto isn't necessarily going to be applicable to PEI and vice versa. Well, and this is where it gets really complicated in our system. Um, is, for example, infrastructure. Uh, John Tory, who's the mayor of Toronto, came out a couple of days ago, um, and he says he's going to start tolling some of the highways in Toronto. Yes, and saw that. These these are the major arteries to access downtown Toronto, and they're really the only access points um, of, as highways. Um, particularly from where I'm living, it's about, and he's, we're talking, they're thinking anywhere from like two to eight dollars per trip. Huh. Um, so what, what, what it's probably going to mean is people are going to start taking the, the other routes and stuff like that and clogging them up. But they're predicting something like 150, 200 million dollars a year in extra revenue from doing this. Um, I can believe it. Just for the sheer volume of traffic. Well, the reason why they said they're doing it is because of they want it all go directly to infrastructure. Yeah, I'm going to believe that when pigs fly. Um, because <laughs> because you, you look at it, um, we have a provincial excise tax on gas, and we also have federal excise tax on gas. Um, I think they, they total up something like 22% or something like that. No, it doesn't really matter. So basically, that's this is an additional tax on, on people who are driving and stuff like that. Um, with our tax, the problem with that with those taxes though is um, neither of them go into infrastructure; they go into the general revenue. So both those taxes go to general revenue, so they can you know pay for other stuff or whatever. Um, and constitutionally in Canada, roads are both a provincial and municipal level. Um, it's a weird whatever. I don't. I kind of. I, I couldn't even explain about um, how that's determined or whatever. But that's who is um, basically is in charge constitutionally of the roadway systems of the highway system is provinces and. Um, municipalities in the main I think there might be some federal control of some um, roadways but it's again well you'd hope stuff like the Trans Canada but that's uh, yeah yeah maybe 
Um, did you do that thing? Is that, I'm not, I'm not entirely sure. I have friends who could probably would be able to tell you this, like a lot, but not like you know, I have friends who like you know, one of their major policy and um, research um, things is is on transportation policy, right? Um, and they generally all support tolls or whatever um, on a lot of these roads. Of that, the thing that bothers me is that I know that this is going to directly affect me. It's going to affect. Um, it's going to directly affect my quality of life and stuff like that. And it's going to cost me probably a couple hundred dollars a year extra in extra taxes. Um, right. So it's directly affected me very negatively. So I'm pretty livid about the whole thing. The problem is that with, with these two taxes of the provincial and federal excise tax on gas is that they would, they pay, they pay, um, something like 117% of Infrastructure costs, and maintenance, like they were, they they pay for more than just um, maintenance costs. So we have like a, it's like 170 percent of maintenance costs. So theoretically, we should have, you know, about 70 percent above maintenance costs to reinvest in infrastructure of that. But again, these um, excise taxes are going not going towards infrastructure; they're going into general revenues of the government, so they can help pay for whatever which hmm. generally um if it's a credential it's generally going to be healthcare and education gotcha um so we're like you know as a i like i don't where i live in the gta and it would be very it would be pretty difficult for me not to have a vehicle um it would well be and also very, in your line of work too so yeah, in some ways, yeah. That that um, my current job is not so much like that, but I mean, yeah. It was just you know I'm so used to having a vehicle like that. So, um, it, it, and it also bothers me when um, people say, "Oh, we want the drivers to pay their fair share and stuff like that." Well, I'm already doing gas and the taxes extra added on to gas and stuff like that by 170% in theory or whatever. So, I mean, um, apparently it doesn't necessarily account for the cost of congestion, though. Hmm. Um, the excess, whatever. And so I'm like, I, I, like and then that's getting way beyond my understanding of, like, how do you, how do you could calculate these costs and like that. But, I mean, I do know that we do have huge issues in um, with traffic in Toronto, Particularly during rush hour, you're looking at you know, at ten kilometers from, say downtown Toronto to the four one, and you you can, you can see an hour commute to ninety minute commute in those ten kilometers kind of thing. Brutal. Yeah. Well, and I know that we have huge um, issues with the TTC as well, and there, uh, so the TTC. Um, has is having huge deficits as well. Um, so, like, the entire model of their funding and their revenue streams has to be rethought too. And they have some huge plans um, that are pretty controversial and uh, that aren't really addressing the core needs because of the way Toronto is structured um, because it's such a big city geographically as well. Right. And 
it used to be like it used to be four separate municipalities, and then in the late nineties, it was amalgamated in ninety eight, I believe, by Mike Harris, and that's caused a lot of issues because of the different needs in the suburbs, um, and uh, you know the sort of the transportation requirements aren't quite as um, heavy. Um, for public transportation, um, and like the big thing is like the uh, the Scarborough subway, which is being built for like 1.8 billion. Um, it's not really seen as a necessary thing, but politically, it is seen as a necessity because you know you don't get any votes in Scarborough, you don't get elected to the office for Toronto, kind of thing. So, um, yeah. So, I mean, like, you know, they're looking at, you know, billions of dollars that are needed to upgrade the TTC, and the money is just not there because the, um, the funding structure for um, infrastructure is really messed up in Canada, where you basically have to have all three levels of government involved in it. And if one of them doesn't want to do it for whatever reason, mostly politics, obviously, um, it doesn't get funded. So right. you get nothing gets done in Toronto kind of thing. Okay. Now, after that preamble, yeah, I got to somehow try and tie this to the actual topic. So I'm going to have fun with that. A huge part is that it's very easy for people. And I, I'm definitely guilty of this really easy. Cause I can, I can, I can separate my, um, my my hearts and my actions and whatever pretty damn easily um in a lot of ways um when crafting like when i think of like you know creating a policy response or whatever uh to certain situations or whatever um well you know it's really easy for us to dehumanize people very and it's an it's an unfortunate bug of us or of us but you know it's like do i really care that you know Say we'll we'll give an estimate of say say the Iraqi war cost a hundred thousand lives, um, like directly rather than like you know as secondary causes or whatever through. Right. Say right. the U.S. invasion cost cost hundred thousand lives in through direct violence. Do I really care about that? No. And even if you say if I if I go back to two thousand three, and become a policymaker. And if I knew that was basically the numbers that was going to happen, would I still make the same decisions? Possibly. So, I mean, um, or at least, like, you know, would I have decided to be like, yeah, I'm still going to invade Iraq. I wouldn't necessarily, like, you know, do the follow-up of the um, that happened or whatever. But, you know, it's like, you know, that's still for, for whatever legitimate reasons or whatever. So, I mean, and this is where I have some friends who um, – politically um, the, that are fairly heavily involved in politics that really challenge me um, because they're very um, they're very libertarian but they're also very like um, open borders and stuff like that and right. I tend I tend to not necessarily be open borders because I'm kind of commodity and something like um, and other reasons but they really challenge the um the human side of, of kind of like the immigration story and um, you know, the, the, the struggles that some people 
have that are outside of Canada. Not saying Canada's the, you know, always like free or whatever, but, um, you know, it's a lot of, like, Canada's one of the best places to live, I think, in the world. Um, so, I mean, overall. So, I mean, you know, like, you know, by denying them people entry into Canada, we might be doing actual severe harm to them. And plus, like, you know, the whole separation of families and whatever, there's all, right. you know. So, their humaneness and basically fundamental human decency can really challenge my kind of Curmudgeonliness. We'll just call yeah, it curmudgeonliness. I mean, it's like I could, I could be, like I, I could be just a very uncaring person, and I, you know, I recognize just myself. Like it's, uh, you know, I'm like I, you know, I can, I can be like I don't have the most emotional capacity to really care. So right. I'm like I don't care. Like you know, I'll be like I don't care. Like you know, this doesn't affect me. Or it doesn't bother me one way or the other. Blah blah. blah. So. Um, I guess I hear my wife wandering around upstairs, so I'm going to have to bring this to a close soon. Okay. But I mean, I guess, you know, talking about caring, right? And I mean, like, you know, coming back to what you said about, you know, even like the the 90 minute commute down a 10 kilometer stretch and coming back to, you know, all the stuff that I've been contemplating about Anima Technica Vacua and all of that stuff. And it's, you know what? I'm guilty of this too. I'll be driving home from work and I see the other cars in front of me, but I don't necessarily contemplate that there's a human being with his own concerns, with his own family, with people he loves driving the car. And maybe I should. Maybe I should. Instead of just, you know, flipping to the next song on my playlist. I'm not sure where you will you go with that. I'm not entirely sure where I'm going with that. Either. It it just, I twigged on something when you said, you know, when you talked about being uncaring and curmudgeonly, because I can be the same way too. And it's just, it's, it's so easy, not, not even, well, to dehumanize, but also just to forget that, Mm -hmm. you know, other people are out there. And I mean, a lot of that comes back to that whole anima, technica, vacua thing, right? It's so easy to distract ourselves, to just let thought and action kind of merge together and not care about, you know, well, I'm stuck here in this traffic jam. I'm just going to read Facebook. I'm not going to look around and see the other people around me and contemplate where they might be going or where they might be coming from or what their cares and concerns might be. I'm just flipping to the next song and checking the last status and seeing that I posted and seeing if I got any likes. It's, but maybe I should be looking at the other drivers, even if only for a minute and just it, trying to contemplate them as a person. It, it's funny. Cause it, it, that totally reminds me of a thing that they teach in policing and security where a lot of times, if you know, people will go off on you and be like, what the will the hell did that come from? Like, it's just like, holy crap, like, why are you going off of me? It's like, I just asked you to, like, you know, not stand for the door or whatever. And, like, you know, even something like that, like, it's simply like, hey, can you move back a little bit? You've spoken too close to the door. Can you move back and, like, you know, they're, like, five, ten feet? And sometimes people just completely go off on you and stuff like that. And then, you know, 
if you really are able to engage them or whatever constructively, you find out it's not even about you. Like, no, you, it you, almost you, never you, would be. Yeah, it, it's about like, you know, it's like, oh, I, I'm in the middle of a divorce or something like that. Right. And people just, like, you know, just they just have it. All right. So that's it. That's the end of it. That's where me and Paul left off with the conversation. Definitely going to have to have him back on at some point for a future series of Bite Size Virtue episodes, or who knows, maybe even as a guest on Spam, Spam, Spam Humbug itself. Speaking of which, we're less than three months away from the two-year anniversary, if you can believe that already, two whole years of Spam, Spam, Spam Humbug. We didn't really mark the first anniversary last March because the podcast was still kind of in a state of flux, but now it's really kind of, I think hit a stride, hit a format that really seems to work for all involved. And so we're definitely going to have to make a bigger deal out of the second birthday or the second anniversary of the podcast, which is coming up, like I say, in March. I've actually got a couple of things lined up for that already, and there'll be more details about that in the near and not quite as near future. Um, But yeah, gosh, two years already. I can't even believe that. So I guess, you know, in the spirit of it being Christmas... Some thank you notes are really due. I mean, obviously, a big thank you to my wife for putting up with the craziness that running and recording a podcast is introduced to my schedule, to our schedules. A big thank you to my kids for, you know, their little contributions here and there. You've heard them on a couple of episodes. Um, Thank you to all of the different people who've contributed Boolean, Linguistic, Gradia, Golem, Golden Flame, and so many others who've um, chimed in on one episode or more than one episode to offer their opinions, to talk about projects they've been working on. We've had some really just fascinating discussions over the last one and three quarters of a year. And um, I, I don't think... I don't think Spam, Spam, Spam Humbug would have continued to be a thing if it had just been me doing it. So thank you. Thank you to everyone who really stepped up, jumped in, and just made this thing a great little thing. It was really awesome. I suppose a note of thank you to Richard Garriott for, you know, creating the Ultima series that has led to the formation of such a great community of individuals who can talk about, you know, any number of things and then somehow all liken it back to the games we know and love so darn much. And... I guess the final thank you has to go to my grandfather in that respect, or in that regard, because, you know, he's the one who brought me to Ultima. He's the one who introduced me to the series. And indeed to computers and, you know, to all the fun that they can be. So, big debt of gratitude owed to Don Kelly, my grandfather as well. Anyways, thank you all for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode and, you know, in the larger sense, the entire discussion with Paul. Next week, we're going to hear from Deathblade Dragon. Finally going to get around to that. And until then, until next time, be virtuous. Virtuous.